from newstalkzb.co.nz. It's the Mike Hosking Breakfast with BNZ. Good day there, and welcome to the rewrap for Thursday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking Breakfast on News Talk ZB in a sillier package. I and Glenn ZB, and this morning uh, the CPTPP, the letters just keep getting added, and the signatures for that matter. Uh, Michael Kane pops in for a chat. Uh, we've got an e-scooter update. And then uh, oh, and another update too. Whatever happened to those uh, those refugees from the Gold Coast Games? But before any of that, uh, whatever happened with Pike River? The Pike River Recovery Agency has identified three safe and feasible re-entry options. This has come uh, with nine months of work. They're going to drive a small tunnel to create a ventilation circuit. They're going to go single entry, which is basically up the old hole that's already there, or they're going to go single entry with a large diameter borehole. One of three things, that decision is in the hands of Andrew Little. Let me ask you this question. Has this agency done anything, got anywhere, that we weren't heading towards anyway? In other words, how political has this entire decision been? What this government has done is set up an agency, more bureaucracy, more people sitting around a table. Would we not have got there anyway when it was safe? They've come up with three options that presumably anyone could have come up with. Are those three options safe? Does Andrew Little take responsibility if they turn out not to be safe? Would we have got here uh, eventually anyway, in the fullness of time, under the umbrella of broad-based safety? And how political is this based on the fact the families seem to be very happy with what this government has done? Is that because this government has done anything any other government wouldn't have done, or is it because they were Labour supporters all along? And they just like to see the right government doing the right thing by them. It's worth pondering, isn't it? Still waiting to hear or see Winston going down there. He's going to lead lead everybody down there. Why why hasn't that happened? Can't wait for that to happen. Um, What has happened is uh, people seem to be loving this TPP thing, which seems like only yesterday nobody wanted to agree to. Now, the TPP... Has finally arrived, not as the TPP, of course, but the CPTPP. It doesn't have America, but it's got enough to be worth a fortune to this country and is living proof that, generally speaking, the right side of the argument eventually wins out. Six countries, including ours, have now ratified it, which triggers the start process, which is 60 days, and then we're off and running. Now, in a world of walls and protectionism, this is a major blow for that mindset and a reminder that history has and will show free trade is the best sort of way of doing business. Now, for this country, it is particularly important, not just because we're small and need free trade, but because we are the pioneers of free trade and are the gold standard of free trade. All of this gets forgotten in the midst of time. But it's been amazing to watch just how much energy has been put into trying to avoid days like this. When Longy came to power in 84 and a bloke called Douglas got given the finance job, he'd written a book a few years earlier called There's Got to Be a Better Way. And one of the ironies of the ensuing years is that Douglas enacted that book, so if you'd already read the book, none of it was a surprise. Sadly, not enough people clearly had read the book, including apparently Longy, who would later call for that famous cup of tea as he has his government imploded. But part of the plan was that our farming industry got rid of the subsidies. We would be going out on our own. It was the battle of the fittest. Seems odd now, but it was, according to the protectionists at the time, the end of the world. Some of the world in America, in France, in Japan still think that way, of course, but for 40 years we've shown them how it's done, and the fruition of that thinking 
is part of what the TPP is all about. And even as they tried to put this current deal together, the streets of this country were filled with more placards and more fear-mongering, almost as though the 80s had never happened. We were warned of the dire consequences. Those of us that have supported all of this cited the China Free Trade Agreement, worth now over 20 billion dollars a year to this country, four times what they predicted. They peddled doom about that as well. And here's your simple reality. Nothing bad has ever come out of free trade as our competitors and markets have got on board with it. We started it. We're good at it. We benefit every single day because of it. Squash growers in Gisborne, tiny little example. Squash growers in Gisborne out of the TPP are going to be $50,000 a year each better off. It's bottom lines, it's jobs, it's our future. So next time the wowsers line up and preach doom, remember Douglas's book, remember the tariff reforms of the 80s, remember China, remember the TPP, free trade wins. Free trade is the right trade, and we are across the line on the right side again. Yeah, free trade hasn't always been good for everyone. I must pull Mike up on that. Places like Nauru, for example which uh, used to export phosphate to the world and now only seems to be trying to export refugees after spending a long time importing them. I think they've got us a bit... They, they got the free trade, a, a bit of a raw, raw deal of the free trade thing. Anyway, let's not worry about that now. Let's go back to worrying about e-scooters. Nine people injured by electric scooters have filed a class action suit uh, in Los Angeles. This is the Superior Court. They're going after bird rides, which is another one that we don't have, but Lyme as well. Basically, they're arguing gross negligence. They claim the companies knew the scooters were dangerous, deployed them in a way that was certain to cause injury. So the counter, I'm assuming, from Lyme is the scooters themselves are not dangerous. It's the people on them. We can't control it. Who would know where this goes? I mean, but I it- think most people realise that there's a risk in riding a scooter. I mean, it's a bit like the caution contents may be hot on a McDonald's cup of coffee, isn't it? Or crossing, or crossing the road, isn't it? You take a risk and you must know the risk and evaluate the risk. It'll be interesting to see where it goes, but it's one of those, uh, whoever invented them is going, geez, it was just a good idea. I thought I was onto something and look at the trouble of course. Can we sue Sir Isaac Newton for the gravity thing? That seems to cause a lot of issues, gravity. Can we track down some of his descendants and get some compensation there? Um, back in Australia, uh, they found those people who ran away from the Gold Coast Games. You know those people? Do you remember of the Gold Coast at the Commonwealth Games? And the there were some Africans who scarpered. Remember that? They found them. And so far, it's cost them $1.3 million, the Australian taxpayer, to look after them. And, of course, they're very, it's very shrewbrick in its own weird way uh, because they're not wanting really to leave. So, of course, the lawyers are being hired. They could be there for years. Years and years when more millions of dollars just sitting waiting, trying to be deported, but they don't want to go. You've got a boxer and a weightlifter from Cameroon. You've got some squash players from Sierra Leone. And it's that classic international sporting event. When you come from a part of the world you didn't really want to be a part of, and you see somewhere like the Gold Coast and you go clubbing on, you know, Pelican Beach, whatever it's called, uh, you think, yeah, I'll have a bit of that. I don't think it is called that. Is it not? Uh, um, th- that's interesting. The, I, I knew of this case, but I didn't actually realise what sports these people played. Well, they were Because there players. were a lot of jokes going around at the time about how, you know, you'd never catch them because they're such fast runners. Ha, yeah. ha, ha. <laughs> but, <laughs> nah. but I would have thought that a squash player would just come bouncing on back. Yes, exactly. Oh. Yeah, did we know that they were squash players from Sierra Leone? I think we just racistly made assumptions based on the fact that we had no idea they had squash courts in Sierra Leone. I think that's what happened there. It's so racist.
And when I say we, I mean me. I'm dumb. Very racist. Just judging a whole country and assuming they don't have squash courts there and they don't play squash there. That's a good measure of how racist you are, isn't it? On how much you think they might play squash at a place. <laughs> I'm going to stop talking now so Michael Caine can start. Now listen, Michael, in this book, and this is the part I didn't know about you, at one point in your life you were drinking two bottles of vodka a day, 80 fags a day. What do you think you were doing? Uh, trying to calm down. Oh. Yeah, I mean, being, trying to be a successful actor, especially in the movies, is a very stressful thing. And what it is, is you don't know how much you're drinking or how much you're smoking. Uh, uh, but I, I gave up smoking quite early because, because I was drinking 80, uh, smoking 80 cigarettes a day. But I was at a party, a very posh party in Mayfair in London. And I, across the room, I didn't know him. I, I knew who he was. I could see Tony Curtis, but I'd never met him or, or spoken to him. And I was smoking cigarettes. And... I, I was chain smoking, and there was a. It was winter, and there was a fire in this apartment. And I lit a cigarette. I lit one cigarette from another and threw the dog end in the fire. And I carried on the conversation with whoever I was with at that time. And I felt a hand come round from behind me and go in my pocket and pull out the cigarettes and throw them in the fire. And I turned round, and it was Tony Curtis. <laughs> And he said to me, he said, you've got to stop this. I've been watching you. You you haven't stopped smoking. You smoked three cigarettes since you've been here. You've only been here just over an hour. He said, you're going to die, Michael, if you do that. And I gave up smoking cigarettes and took up cigars, which has saved my life, really, because cigars, you don't smoke, you don't yep. inhale. Yeah. But eventually they became dangerous, and, and I gave them up. Wow, there you go, see? All the news here on ZB. So Michael Caine... Tony Curtis saved him, saved his life by reaching around. I'm trying to make more out of that than it probably was. So quickly, let's stop the podcast. I am Glenn ZB. That was the rewrap for Thursday. We'll quickly start it again tomorrow. I'll see you then.